I'm Simon Murray, and you're listening to an Open Water Swimmers podcast. Here we are, episode two of an Open Water Swimmers podcast with me, William Ellis. I realised this week just how diverse and different the answers to the questions were going to be, and it's fascinating. My guest today is someone who has become synonymous in the open water swimming world with travel, and as a result, has more open water swim tales than you can shake a stick at. I first met him in Turkey when we were both swimming the Bosphorus cross-continental. His passion for the open water and seeing the world is utterly infectious. And it led him to set up Swim Trek in 2003, a company that takes swimmers on trips all over the world. He has successfully swam the English Channel, Rottnest, the Isle of Wight, the River Volta in Ghana, and currently holds the Australian record for crossing the Gibraltar Strait. He still swim guides and coaches on some of the trips Swim Trek offers. They currently offer, outside of a pandemic, over 72 trips to multiple locations around the world per year. You will more often than not find him swimming off the coast of Brighton all year round, sporting vibrant swimwear, or indeed find his knowledgeable additions to Outdoor Swimming magazine. I'm positive you will enjoy this interview as much as I did recording it. He has more open water swim stories than it would have been possible to record for this podcast. So maybe, just maybe, we will have to do a part two with him at some stage. Recorded over Zoom during lockdown, Introducing Simon Murray. So, Simon Murray of Swim Trek fame, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast and being a guest for me on an Open Water Swimmers podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Will. Really looking forward to this. And, uh, you know, there's one thing sort of um, swimming and um, doing it. The other thing is actually reflections and uh, thinking, why, why am I actually doing it? So really looking forward to sort of, you know, may, maybe going down that road. Okay, excellent. Well, you've, 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 you're starting to take the words out of my mouth, which is, which is, which is wonderful. So, right, my first question, which is, which is quite ethereal, but is very simply, why do you swim? Now, that uh, obviously can be talked about in many, many different ways. Not everyone starts in the open water. Um, I think, you know, most people will start to swim in the pool. That's where they'll learn to swim. So it might be simply, why did you take up swimming? Or, or in, indeed, why do you continue to swim? And, and what was it about the water that that keeps you coming back well i think um part of it is all is is a connection to my parents um let me explain that my when i was growing up i grew up in west london uh in Kew, and i uh, it was on the river thames um but mm. and i remember my mum um summer holidays would take me down to the Thames, not not at Kew, which was sort of in the tidal part of the Thames and pretty dirty. We would go further up river to um, near Kingston, a place called Ham. And there, there was the old uh, British aerospace uh, factory. And out and off on the banks of the Thames, there was a little sort of towpath and between the factory and the Thames. And we used to, during the summer holidays, whenever the weather was good, to be honest, whenever the weather probably wasn't that good, we used to go down. <laughs> And she would take down a picnic blanket. Um, she would take, I remember she took down the picnic blanket, a radio, uh, a radio times for those people who 
um, know that, uh, which yeah. was sort of ha- had the sort of the the programs for what was on the radio and the TV that week. And uh, that was about it. And I would take down a little magazine, a comic or something, and uh, we'd sit down by the Thames over the day. And we would sort of sit there uh, amongst all the fishermen. Uh, there were no other swimmers at this stage. This was in like late 1970s, early 80s. And uh, we would do our thing. We would swim, come back, sit on the bank, dry off, go back uh, and swim. It was just her and I. So that's a remembrance that I have with my mum, uh, who's no longer with us. And uh, so I, I appreciate over the years that that's, it, it's sort of a, a connection to to her and also my dad who's a was a surf lifeguard in sydney and he's still swimming to this day and still swimming in the sea he came down for my 50th birthday recently and we swam in the sea off brighton this was during the middle of lockdown um so it's quite chilly the water but he's still going strong and um still loving swimming in open water so it's for me it's partly a connection to my family but it's also i think one, the only way I can, um, it's one of the few activities or few things, pastimes, you can totally immerse yourself in something, I think. Totally enveloped by water, totally enveloped by the medium that you're trying to, that you're actually doing. I can't think of much else. And I love that feeling of just being totally immersed um, in water. And the fact that every no swim is alike. If you go into a swimming pool, then yes, pretty much you can be pretty safe that every swim is pretty alike that 25 meters you just did you swim back 25 meters it's not a lot of difference but in open water every every stroke every swim that you do is is different and that's what i love about it you just don't know what you're going to get so did you uh, i know that you are you have australian heritage did you spend any time swimming in australia um either before, after the time you, you talk about your early memories in Kew? Yeah, well, my I left uh, Australia when I was two. My ah. parents drove overland. So they drove from Sydney to London in a combi van. Uh, I can't remember any of it. Uh, <laughs> so I think it took them about eight months to get from Sydney to London. Um, and they went a route that now would be trickier. They went, um, you know, through the, through, uh, uh, Afghanistan, then Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey. Wow. So that route would be trickier. But then, yeah. but then they weren't able to go through the USSR whilst maybe whilst now you could. So routes change. Some countries open up, some countries close. Um, so no, I don't have any remembrance of the early years in Australia. And my no, my earliest recollections would be going down the River Thames. Um, uh, with my mum, basically just sort of swimming there. But um, the I, my memories of Australia and swimming is when I went back in my twenties and uh, I ended up becoming a a mining engineer. And I think the idea of the, why I was trained to be a mining engineer was I liked the idea of the travel. There was no way there was going to be much mining here in the UK, so I took my. So I thought this would be a romantic. Um, way of seeing the world by doing being trained in something that you had to had to travel you forced yourself so took myself off to Australia back in the 20s and worked around mine sites there and I remember going into old um, quarry workings or old mine workings um, which generally after the pumps had gone and after the the miners had left were generally were flooded and you could swim in these amazing pools and amazing um, 
open water little um little lakes um around us around outback australia and i remember traveling around swimming in these various places um and uh that was sort of as i was older my first sort of experience um as an adult sort of open water swimming in places which weren't really designed for swimming but actually were, were really addictive and uh thoroughly enjoyable so that that made kept me going back and back and that's where my I realized that actually you know what this is a lot more fun than uh, mining engineering so uh you know was that when the kids uh, were born that was where the idea of is that where the idea of swim trek started to started to develop no the idea no the no it was just the idea that I actually enjoyed swimming I I remember um as a child being taken growing up in the UK going to swimming pools and not enjoying swimming at all um, I remember my mum taking me to a dive club, um, so high board diving, um, and going there, and I could not, I could not wait to get out of there soon enough. So, uh, but and also even these sort of swims on the Thames. To be honest, as a kid growing up, when I knew all my mates were doing far more exciting, or what I thought were far more exciting things, like riding on their chopper bikes or grifter bikes <laughs> and um, just, you know, hamming it up and having a great time. I thought sitting on the Thames with my mum was a little bit boring. So to, as, as a kid, open water swimming wasn't high on my radar. So I think what it did, these sort of mind sites, old dam workings, um, it sort of just ignited my um, love of swimming, which probably hadn't been there before and also then rekindled my my memories of when I was a kid and which I now then looked on much more affectionately as um as a great little way into it and, and a way to sort of uh improve my skills open water swimming skills so I think it was the it ignited my love affair with uh with swimming let's say the idea with swim trek came came much later well came later in my sort of late 20s early 30s really when I um, um, ended up um, I was uh, wor- I was um, turning 30 and uh, I remember thinking well look I could go to the pub with my mates uh, which I did but I could also do something sig- do something sort of significant that I can remember so I remember being at school and reading the poetry of Byron, I think we had a, an English teacher, Mr. Cudden, his name was, who was who loved Byron, and he would make us. Uh, we would sit down and we'd read various um, various uh, Byron works, and one of his was a poem I remember reading called "Written After Swimming from Sestos to Abydos," and it was all about his swim across the Hellespont in Turkey, and he compares himself in this swim to. Um, the uh, uh, Leander out of Greek mythology, who would swim nightly to his lover Hero. Hero would hold out a torch and guide Leander's way. Uh, they would do their thing, and then in the morning, Leander would swim back. Uh, one night, a storm blew, and uh, um, Leander lost his way and was drowned. His body washed up on the, the um, one side of the Hellespont, which was on the European side, and a hero seeing Leander's body threw, threw herself off the castle walls where she was and died alongside Leander. And that was the tragic Greek love story of Hero and Leander. Then Byron in 1810 actually ended up doing this, this swim. So one side is on in Europe, the other side's Asia. And he did this swim and with, uh, with Lieutenant Eckenhead, 
he actually, him and Leckenhead were the first two known people to do this crossing. And I remember reading this poem about doing the swim and how he compared himself to Leander. And, and I just sort of, I remember it just stuck in my mind. And, uh, and I thought, you know what? I would love to do that swim. I wasn't really done much open water swimming apart from swimming in these uh, sort of old mine workings and on the Thames with my mum. But, um, but I, uh, I'd all get, I went over there and it took me a week to get the permissions because this is on the site of the Dardanelles. Hellespont is also Dardanelles, which mm. uh, famous World War I campaign, mm. which is and also right next to Gallipoli Peninsula, which was another big World War I campaign. So it's a heavily militarized area by the Turks. So you needed... Um, you needed the army's permission because you started off from, from an army base or the land of an army base. You needed the Navy's permission because you're swimming across the Dardanelles. And then you needed the town council and the Coast Guard permission. Anyway, I turned up thinking I'd be able to swim this to the next day and off I'd go. It took me a week to get the permissions um, and then finding a pilot um, and then an hour to swim it. Um, but I, I just um, just thinking about the the history of this whole stretch of water You've got Troy on one side as well. You're just swimming very close to Troy. So what's happened here over the centuries was the thing that really sparked my love of, um, of swimming. You, when I said earlier, you can immerse yourself in something. I felt I was immersing myself in the history of this, this particular area. Um, and that's what I love so much about it. And that's what gave me the idea um, to sort of take other people who might not be want to spend a week organizing um, boring stuff like admin and um, <laughs> permissions and risk assessments to, and all they want to do is swim. And that's what I wanted to do as well, but there must be other people out there who want to do these fantastic, awesome swims, but don't want to spend uh, uh, lots of time organizing it. And so that's where the idea came from. And that was, I did that when I was, um, yeah, for my 30th birthday. So it was a very memorable time. And it's the place that I go back to now every year um, taking, taking swimmers to do that crossing because i think it's just uh one of the great swims of the world it really is it really is and you're you're still guiding and i i'd be fair to say that's your that's your favorite swim uh, i would say yeah i think so i think it's got bit i i think for a swim a swim can't just be i mean a swim can be i mean look a swim can be just a really beautiful water um with great visibility and a nice temperature and that's great and you know if you swim that every day fantastic but i think to make a swim truly special there's got to be other stuff some intangible things there like for example that that swim the hellespont benefits from you've got the geographical significance you're going from europe to asia you've got historical significance in terms of the 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 camp of troy and the battle the battles of world war 1 um and you've got even cultural mythological and literal um connotations and significance as well and i think for a swim to be truly special it needs various attributes going for it and actually the water there is is okay it's not fantastic but it's it's quite swimmable but actually, to make something true, I swim or probably anything in life truly special, it's got to have various things going for it. It can't just, and if we focus just on swimming again, it can't just be great water or, um, you know, I've done some um, awesome swims down uh, down rivers of rivers of Britain, which 
might not be the cleanest water, but it's got other things going for it. So I think there's a, you could argue, you could have a little tick box of various attributes that things swims have to offer, swims offer. And if you can tick a few of those boxes, then there's lots of positives for it. And lots of, that's what moves it up into being a truly sort of great swim. The channel, mm. English channel, for example, which is obviously quite often considered, um, what well, one you know the the Everest of open water swimming, so to speak. Well, it is. I'd say it's the Everest of open water swimming for people from the UK or Great Britain. Is it the same for people from France? No, it's not. The number of <laughs> French people doing the English Channel is a lot less than the people from um, from the UK. Why is that? Well, my view is the reason it is because for for British people. It's and Irish people, it's their connection with the rest of the world. It was you hop across the channel and you are in the rest of the world. For the French, well, for them, it's all it is, it's their connection with another country, Britain, and then they're not going anywhere from there. So therefore, that the, the channel in terms of the distance, the temperature, the conditions and the challenge is exactly the same for somebody from Britain as somebody from France. But... It's got other connotations, other attributes to it for somebody from Britain. That 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 is a reason for them. It is a great achievement if they do it. But for somebody from France, it's less so because it's Britain's connection with the rest of the world, and um, that's what they identify much more about. So that's a, an example, I guess, of what I'm trying to say is actually to make a swim great, it's got to have various things going for it. And I'm, all I'm saying is the English Channel, I think, is greater for somebody from um, uh, from Britain than it, than it is for France because of those reasons. I, I think you're entirely right. It's, you're, you know, the journey of a swim is, is just as important as completing it. You know, there's, there's so much meaning involved in the preparation in, and in doing it than in, than in simply completing it. That's, uh, I, that's really, really lovely. And you've, you've touched on so much there. You, you've, you've already answered my second question. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna have to rephrase it slightly. So my second question would be, uh, what are your earliest memories of swimming in the open water, which you've, you've alluded to beautifully, talking about the time spent uh, in Ham with, with your mum. If there was one incident or one memory for you of, of your early relationship with the open water, um, is there is there anything that that comes to mind? I remember uh, my dad taking me to Biarritz in uh, southwest France, uh, big surf uh, surf resort, and uh, my dad grew up on the beaches of Sydney, um, and he said that when he was growing up, the the people surfing would be surfing on um, um, doors, basically, or bits of timber shaped shaped like your typical door. Um, so I not very styled or anything like that, but, um, so he was always a body surfer. He'd hate surfing and he always body surfed. So we went there and I remember body surfing with him and these were the biggest waves I, I, I'd ever sort of seen or, or, um, faced before. I was only, I think I was 10 at the time. Um, and I just remember sort of him sort of in the waves and myself really struggling and actually not being able to swim. Uh, on half of the days because the waves were just too big my dad would always get in but he would make me sit, stay on the beach when it was the waves were too big and that's when the first time I had a real respect for the sea and a real respect for what can be thrown up because however good you think you are 
you're only um you know the the sea's always going to be the sea can always be stronger more powerful for you so for me i think it was just i learned to respect there when i was in biritz a respect for the sea and a respect generally for the elements and um you've got to know when actually no you 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 shouldn't go out you can't go out or because you know today isn't the day and it's, it's that ability and i think that um um, the courage to say no, which even to today, I, I, I say to myself, I teach my kids that. And also part of our training at Swim Trek is, is, is um, being, you know, you might have a lot of swim, you might have a group of swimmers who say, you know, really, look, we really want to do this swim. Okay, it's a bit rough, but I'm sure we'll be all right. We really want to do it. Let's go. And it's teaching people the courage to say no and the courage to to say no today isn't the day let's go and do something else um because it'll always be there tomorrow maybe when it's a bit more favorable at some stage will be more favorable so yes early birits and the um that just being taught the power of power of the sea yeah well if there's if there's one place to learn that then birits birits is 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 probably one of the pantheons yeah. of 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 places that swimming is is very difficult the surf there is is you know is incredibly powerful um so my my, my third question uh again you've you've alluded to to so much of of these questions and in, in how sort of beautifully eloquent eloquently you're you're speaking about your memories of swimming but uh so simon murray the the owner of swim trek the the, the channel swimmer um, someone who has swam the length of, uh, is it the length or the, or the breadth of the River Volta in Ghana, uh, surrounded by crocodiles and things that will, will you know, eat you. Uh, you know, the Isle of Wight swimmer, you know, uh, someone who is synonymous with uh, open water swimming in this country, certainly. So what does open water swimming mean to you? And uh, in terms of how it's changed from that person swimming on the, uh, on the banks of the Ham or in Beer Ritz, all the way to where you are now with uh, children who you're, you're your own kids who you're teaching to swim, the owner of a, of a travel company that uh, takes hundreds of people, you know, outside of a, an annoying pandemic to swim every year. How has your relationship to the, to the, to open water changed over that time? Is that something you can quantify? I think when you change from it being a pastime and, and a passion to, becoming your sort of your business it's important to try and maintain that passion um uh because you, you, you know and i was always keen to run a business run uh, if i was going to get into you know a business i i think your clients and your customers always can tell if something is being done for J, uh, you know somebody's passionate and the, the the people behind it are passionate about it rather than thinking, well, look, this is just a money-making sort of venture, which there's nothing wrong with that, but to have that passion behind it is important. So yes, it's important, I think, to carry that on. I um, I sort of, I try and set myself sort of swimming challenges um, most years to try and keep my sort of open water swimming interest going. I think there's, um, my most main form of swimming is swimming for pleasure, but I think if you have that sort of challenge element there each year or at certain stages to sort of push you a little bit further then then you can i mean that that sort of thing about going when i went to to ghana and swam across the the volta river that was my mum was living out there in ghana at the time doing charity work and it was um uh, she was turning 70 
and she was going to be out there. So I traveled out there to go and visit her. And we sort of traveled around Ghana and came to the Volta River, um, which is where the upper Volta uh, country of upper Volta, which changed names later on to Burkina Faso, got named. Um, and we came to this sort of the, the banks of the Volta. And I remember it's a very wide river down near, near, its, near its river mouth. And it was about uh, six kilometers across. Which, uh, and, and I remember seeing these sort of desert islands or these islands, sandy islands dotted along. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I saw some people swimming in the, in the, in the, in the water. So I got talking to them and they said, and I said, oh, don't you have to worry about the crocodiles? And the, the chap said, no, don't have to worry about the croc. Well, you've you got to worry about the crocodiles, but you've also got to worry about the sharks. Oh, I said, all right, so why are you swimming in this section? And he said, well, this section is too brackish or too salty for the crocodiles. So we were sort of about three miles in from the river mouth. And I said, oh, okay, how about the sharks then? Oh, it is too, it's not salty enough for the sharks. <laughs> So there was about a, a one kilometer stretch, which sort of coincided with this sort of group of islands that the locals could all swim in. But anywhere further upriver or downriver, there wasn't they they didn't swim at all, but they fished in this small section. So then that got gave me the idea to say, well, okay, um, or maybe I could swim across the six kilometers. Um, but also there were these island communities on each island. And I thought, oh well, I'll swim to each island, walk across maybe meet some people with my mum who would be on one of the support boats um, and thought that'd be an interesting day. So anyway, we ended up doing it and uh, had a lovely day sort of swimming across, meeting other fishermen who were fishing from the water, like spearfishing, um, and also meeting local communities. And I think those, to come back to your question, I think, that, and you raised about that, that swim as well, but to bring that in, it's actually keeping... Um, coming, uh, doing interesting things, interesting swims and interesting activities to keep your passion, to keep it sort of, um, to keep it real. You hear about relationships and how to keep a relationship fresh is to do sort of romantic things. Well, for me, with open water swimming, I think you. I also try and do that with romantic things. <laughs> to do, in a way, is to do things slightly off the ordinary and I think that was slightly out of the ordinary but I remember coming back from that feeling energized and enthused which would make my swimming over the coming winter um the sort of north European winter much so much more um exciting and yeah. um sort of um uh, yeah sort of addictive than if I hadn't have done that and I maybe motivation wise would have struggled more so I think it's keeping keeping the thrill going and they say and going back to relationship analogy you know you know how do you keep relationship going what uh, solid is is keeping the thrill going in a relationship well my relationship with open water is also keeping that thrill element going so i think that's important so all the time i try and do sort of swims which are slightly weird and off off the wall like um earlier this year i did a swim across the longest um volcanic lake in bali um organized that it's, no uh, it's 12 kilometers but you know uh, you know just stunning uh, the water was a little bit sulfury i would say um but it was a stunning swim and um um and just i remember at the end of it enthused energized and ready to sort of take on whatever the next challenge is so i think it's keeping things real, keeping things fresh and 
and being thrilled about the the next challenge God, that's i think that helped that's very inspiring amazing that, that was was that a solo swim that you did across that volcanic or was it yeah no no uh, so well, it was a solo swim and then i managed to bring in three no was it four other four other people who lived out in bali um and i got them involved too and we did a bit of fundraising for that uh event and uh the idea was is to make it a, an, an annual event um so in terms of sort of fundraising and and just getting people swimming in sort of stretches of water that they might not think is, is possible the idea of swimming across a volcano sounds sounds amazing oh, yeah i'd love to do that sign me up okay <laughs> see you there next year Will. yeah definitely um again you you uh, your your foresight uh to my questions is 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 quite astonishing um you talked about the crocodiles and the and the sharks i mean that would that would scare that would scare the living daylights out of me um, but you don't seem too phased by that talking talking about it. Um, you know, you seem to be quite a yes man in, in in that regard, especially when it comes to swimming. But for me, open water swimming always, no matter if I'm swimming in a in a familiar environment or uh, an unfamiliar environment, it's always had a degree of fear factor. There's because it's there's always something uncontrollable, as 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 we both alluded to, which obviously is is part of its addiction. To what extent do you identify with that? That idea and is there another particular story that perhaps comes to mind yeah, well look i think the example of that is is um about local advice um <laughs> what pe- you know i i wasn't jumping in those waters without speaking to the local um uh, spear fishermen first uh, i was certainly chatting with them about it and i was sort of plotting my course on the fact that there were people in the water uh, or nearby when I when I was swimming, so I felt a lot more confident uh, about it than if I hadn't have asked anyone and just sort of plunged in. So, mm. I think sort of local advice is a is 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 a really sort of uh, useful one. I remember um, I mean talking about sort of stories uh, a few years ago. I there was my wife and myself and uh, two other people. We we went across to try and swim the Suez Canal um, uh, in in Egypt, because it was the sort of connection between um, Africa and Asia. And uh, to to be honest, we we spent two days even trying to find the Suez Canal. It's so militarized. It's so sort of, um, unless you're a cargo ship going down the Suez Canal, it's actually very hard to find it. We went to Suez. um, We sort of try to get middlemen involved to get us access um, to the canal. We sort of um, met sort of fishermen there who sort of fished on some of the lakes, which sort of are connections on the canal. Um, And actually there, that was, um, they very, uh, again, without any access to them, we wouldn't have got very far. To be honest, we didn't get very far anyway, even with them, with the military authorities. It's quite a, it's quite a tough, um, regime out there so what we actually ended up doing but what the person we met one of the people we met there um then then um uh, got us involved with the uh, nile um got a connection there with somebody on the nile we went to cairo and met a chap who um was actually a kayak instructor on the on the nile and thought that actually oh yeah, that'd be a good idea to let these four people swim across the Nile in Cairo with all the um, the boat traffic. We got up very early 
and did the crossing. Didn't take very long, but we, we got up early enough that we avoided the authorities um, who started their boat patrols, I think, at seven in the morning. And we got up early, about four o'clock in the morning, I remember, and we traipsed across, got the boat across, and we swam across the Nile um, uh, five, about five o'clock in the morning. But the whole idea there was it, without the local connections and local people, you just don't end up doing or able to do half of the things that you uh, you really want to. So I think it's local advice and local support is key with all of these sort of um, adventurous, exciting swims that you're trying to take on. That's that's amazing. But you you uh, again you 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 seem to have so much uh, gusto for for uh, for any any sort of swim, any any sort of challenge. Is there is it's do, do you identify with 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 that idea that that it that it is essentially uh, there is there's always a tiny little bit of fear factor? Do you do you identify with with that at all? Oh yeah, I I think so. I think you've got to have a bit of you can't just um, any of these swims. There's always got to be a, a there well there always is a certain element of uncertainty, especially mm. dealing when you're dealing with open water. Um, you don't really know what you're going to get. Maybe on that volcanic lake. Um, in Bali, did we really know what the water quality was like there? No. Would I, would I take clients there? No, not at the <laughs> moment. We're without a lot more research, but would I do it myself and take the risk? Well, yes, because you, you, you are, you are, you are making a sort of calculated decision on the Nile. It was sort of water quality, um, sort of issues there that wasn't the the greatest water to swim across but there might be other reasons like boat traffic wildlife issues Mm. um i did a swim earlier this year the rottnest swim from um perth to rottnest island there that that's your your thoughts there are more about wildlife so but i think with anything there's got to be a you know to to live in life you i think you feel so much more energized and uh motivated when you've when you've undertaken something, whatever it is, um, that's had a bit of a risk element to you, your adrenaline starts pumping more. You, you feel different. You feel energized and you feel enthused. I think about sort of um, doing things, and I think even you know, condition cold and um, swimming in in colder temperatures, that helps your adrenaline as well. And I think that's all part of it. So of I think whether it's wildlife, water quality, or whatever the issue is, or whatever sort of challenge you're doing in life if there is a bit of a risk and then it's a calculated risk then i think you will you will sort of generally feel better for that and uh, a swim which is so safe so um so sort of you know exactly what you're going to get and i'm coming back to the back to swimming in a pool where you know exactly what's going to (coughs) happen excuse me um is you don't come out of that necessarily as enthused and as pumping and ready to go as you would with a sort of with an open water swim. And I think that's another reason for this sort of what the appeal of open water swimming Mm. gives you. That's lovely to hear. Entirely right. I mean, you are, you're much more of a cold water swimmer than I think I will, I I will probably ever be. Someone once said to me, uh, always remember the water wants you, which uh, I've, I've always found I've always found useful when uh, surmounting a swim. If you if you could be omnipotent, and if you like have a have a holodeck from Star Trek. I don't know if you've ever seen Star Trek, and you could create a swim. 
what what would that be like and that might be totally counterintuitive for you who who's already who's already talked about managing risk because this would take all the risk out wouldn't it but is that if if you could create the the perfect open water swim what would what 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 would that look like is that something you can you can visualize i like the i well number one this sort of this um this um swim that i could create i think it would have to there would have to be a, a start. Um, a, it would have to be a journey. So it would be a um, the idea that you could see, we not necessarily even have to see, but where you could look back from when you s- finished swimming and look back and seen where you've come from. I think part of the the appeal of sometimes of swims is is to appreciate where you've arrived, um, um, I, and actually look at the place and sort of view the place in a different way. For example, if you um, maybe uh, let's think to going up Snowdon, for example, there's a railway line that goes up Mount Snowdon. So you can take the railway line up to the top, the summit of Mount Snowdon, or you can walk up there. I went up there. I've been up there a few times, went with my son last year or two years ago. We climbed up. But anyway, and I was thinking when I was at the summit and I was thinking, I wonder, and I was thinking, surely people's appreciation of where they are and the work required to get to the summit makes you appreciate a place differently than if you've had it done easy and Mm. you've got somewhere. So like maybe getting a helicopter to the top of Everest is another example. You get a helicopter up there, say, not that it's technically possible maybe with a helicopter, um, but um, if you got dunked on the, the summit of Everest in sort of 30 minutes being flown up from base camp, or you've hiked up or you've sort of trekked up there for sort of, you know, five, six or seven, eight days and you got there, you're going to appreciate where you are so much differently. So I think it's got to be an element of challenge in there. There's got to be an element of sort of being able to view back from where you've come. But I think the other ones would be the sort of, and it would have to have a number of attributes to it, as I've already alluded to about the Hellespont. It's got to have various things. Maybe it's a stunning swim. Maybe there's beautiful wildlife, say like in the Galapagos Islands or something. There's got to maybe, there's got to be some sort of tale, some story um, that's sort of happened in these waters before, maybe an old shipwreck um, um, that's happened sort of centuries ago. Maybe there's got to be a sort of some sort of um, geographical sort of significance to it. Maybe you're swimming from one country to another. Maybe there's, you know, again, in Hellespont, there's that mythology. So a number of different attributes. Um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, would would sort of make it, but also the idea of you're, sw- you're swimming to another island rather than down a coastline. I think I love coastline swimming. You you see a lot. And I think on our trips where the swimmers are generally divided, some swimmers will love their coastline swims where they can see the bottom the whole way. And other swimmers enjoy doing um, island to island swims where you actually don't necessarily see the bottom the whole way, but you're swimming to another landmass. And as I've said, you can appreciate where you are where you've arrived in a different way that if you'd say caught the ferry. So I think for me, I, I like both, but I think out of both of those, I'd love it to this dream swim to be a, an inter-island swim where I arrive at another landmass. Maybe there's been a shipwreck centuries before over where I'm swimming. Maybe I'm swimming from one continent to another. So I'm swimming over a continental divide as well. Uh, and maybe like Neptune, 
uh, or Poseidon have had their like underwater lair right below me as well. Maybe there's a, like a monster underneath as well. So a bit like the Loch Ness Monster would sort of be, I've had a few sightings there over the previous years. Oh yes, and the wildlife would be lovely and the water temperature would be about 14 degrees because mm. I love that sense of chill on my skin now it doesn't necessarily need to be a long swim because i think actually it, it might be a i think my dream distance swim for that maybe four kilometer swim so a bit of chill in the water a bit of chill on your skin because i think that makes you feel so much more awake but say about a four kilometer distance and i think if you could throw all those things in there will for me um, yeah. then I would be very happy, uh, for, for that swim. And I would love to do it. Um, I would love to do it with my kids, but I'd also, if we're in dreamland, I'd also take my mum and my dad along with me as well. So uh, there we go. Yeah. That, that would be the dream. I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll, okay. I'll, lovely. I'll, if you, if you can let me know map. where that place is, that would be <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. Simon, that, that sort of brings us to a close. It's, it, I've just got one final question for you. Very simply. Where was your last swim and how was it? Okay. So my last swim was in the beach in Brighton off Sea Lanes, which is, uh, which is sort of an uh, open water swimming venue um, in Brighton. And uh, it was, I've been swimming pretty regularly through the summer. Uh, I went in by myself. Um, it was about eight o'clock in the morning. It was lovely and flat. I got in. Swam for 10 minutes, uh, got back, and my it, for the first time this year, my, uh, my hands and my feet were sort of tingling at the end, end of the swim, and I knew that was a good time to be getting out. What was the temperature? Uh, uh, I'm thinking the temperature was, what was it, nine? Nine degrees? Ooh, that's cold. Um, but yeah, but... It, and the hands and feet were tingling and it was just a bit of an effort to put the, the socks back on and the shoes back on. Um, felt wonderful and enthused about it all and everything and uh, um, really enjoyed it. But I was shivering for about the next hour. That was last week. So Gosh. I haven't swum again in the sea for a week. Um, but that was my last swim and certainly going in Christmas Day. And I, I've said I've got to swim myself next few days my wife actually has been lou my wife's been swimming a lot more than i have in the sea she's very much into it so we're all swimming down her and i and the kids are going to go down to um uh, brighton beach on christmas day and do the traditional do the traditional dive. swim brave bunch you mentioned uh you mentioned you mentioned sea lanes do you want to do a quick quick plug for sea lanes yeah well there's an endless pool down there where we we run a uh a high performance swim coaching center right on the beach uh, where we do video analysis of everybody's stroke. So it's a great place to come. And then we're also uh, planning on um, uh, building a, um, a swimming pool down there on the beach in the next couple of years and to have it as like the national open water swimming center. So it'll be an open water heated pool uh, right be, on that, the beach. Will that be a 50 meter swimming pool? That's the plan. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. So really exciting. And uh, yeah, so we're hoping that, you know, that will be 
you know, off the ground in the next sort of year and a half. So, gosh, how uh, exciting! You'll be able to swim in the pool and then swim in the sea and then swim in the pool, which is which is sort of the idea. So, people, you know, if they want to have, don't feel comfortable about swimming in the sea during the summer, they'll swim in the pool. Maybe they'll get some swim coaching in the pool. Then they can swim in the sea. And then when it gets maybe too cold to do much swimming in the sea in the winter, the heated pool will still be going. So, it'll be a real sort of place to try and attract people new to open water swimming but also to elite squads and national teams who want to sort of train in a year 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 round facility so yeah we're really excited about it and uh yeah uh, watch this space but it's uh sea lanes and it's sea lanes brighton if anybody wants to have a look at more information on it online Simon, that was that was incredible. Thank you so much. All your wonderful stories of your childhood, all the way through to Australia. Um, there was so there was so much in there. It was so rich. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Really, really, really lovely, lovely to chat to you. Really enjoyed it, Will. Wow, that was a brilliant chat, wasn't it? Fascinating to speak to someone who has seen so much of the world from a swimmer's point of view. I, I have honestly felt that we only scratched the surface of, of Simon's stories, so we have to get him back. What a great guest. God. 2020, COVID and the numerous restrictions on travel has been awful for everyone, but obviously terrible, terrible for the travel industry. Hopefully 2021 will see its return and also see many open water swimmers back enjoying the fabulous trips that Swimtrek offer around the world. I say thank you to Simon once more and hope that you will join us for our next episode. Please remember to subscribe, like, share, leave a rating wherever you get your podcast from. Keep swimming and thank you for listening. <laughs>